Section 13 of Myths of the New World. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Myths of the New World by Daniel Brinton. Chapter 5, Part 2. Myths of Water, Fire, and Thunderstorm. As representing water, the universal mother, the moon was the protectoress of women in childbirth, the goddess of love and babes, the patroness of marriage. To her the mother called in Trevi, whether by the name of Diana, Diva Triformis in pagan Rome, by that of Mama Kila in Peru, or of Mestli in Anahuac, under the title Yowal Tikitil, the Lady of Night. She was also in this latter country the guardian of babes, and as Tekzistikatul, the cause of generation. Very different is another aspect of the moon goddess, and well might the Mexicans paint her with two colors. The beneficent dispenser of harvests and offspring, she nevertheless has a portentous and terrific phase. She is also the goddess of the night, the dampness, and the cold. She engenders the miasmic poisons that rack our bones. She conceals in her mantle the foe who takes us unawares. She rules those vague shapes which fright us in the dim light. The causeless sounds of night or its more oppressive silence, are familiar to her. She it is who sends dreams wherein gods and devils have their sport with man, and slumber the twin brother of the grave. In the occult philosophy of the Middle Ages, she was chief over the night, darkness, rest, death, and the waters. In the language of the Algonquins, her name is identical with the words for night, death, cold, sleep, and water. She is the evil-minded woman who thus brings diseases upon men, who at the outset introduced pain and death in the world, our common mother, yet the cruel cause of our present woes. Sometimes it is the moon, sometimes water, of whom this is said. We are all of us under the power of evil and sin, because we are children of the water, says the Mexican baptismal formula. That Unctahi, spirit of water, is the master of dreams and witchcraft, is the belief of the Dakotas. A female spirit, wife of the great Menido, whose heart is the sun, the ancient Algonquins believed, brought death and disease to the race. It is she who kills men, otherwise they would never die. She eats their flesh and gnaws their vitals, till they fall away and miserably perish. Who is this woman? In the legend of the Muscas, it is Chaya, the moon, who was also goddess of water, and flooded the earth out of spite. Her reputation was notoriously bad. The Brazilian mother carefully shielded her infant from the lunar rays, believing that they would produce sickness. The hunting tribes of our own country will not sleep in its light, nor leave their game exposed to its actions. We ourselves have not outgrown such words as lunatic, moonstruck, and the like. Where did we get these ideas? The philosophical historian of medicine— Kurt Sprengel traces them to the primitive and popular medical theories of ancient Egypt, in accordance with which all maladies were the effects of the anger of the goddess Isis, the moisture, the moon. We have here the key to many myths. Take that of Sentiotl, the Aztec goddess of maize. She was said at times to appear as a woman of surpassing beauty, and allure some unfortunate to her embraces, destined to pay with his life for his brief moments of pleasure. Even to see her in this shape was a fatal omen. She was also said to belong to a class of gods whose home was in the West, and who produced sickness and pains. Here we see the evil aspect 
of the moon reflected on another goddess, who was at first solely the patroness of agriculture. As the goddess of sickness, it was supposed that persons afflicted with certain diseases had been set apart by the moon for her peculiar service. These diseases were those of a humoral type, especially such as are characterized by issues and ulcers. As in Hebrew, the word, accursed, is derived from a root meaning consecrated to God, so in the Aztec, Kiche, and other tongues, the word for leprous, eximitus, or syphilitic, means also divine. The bizarre change of meaning is illustrated in a very ancient myth of their family. It is said that in the absence of the sun, all mankind lingered in darkness. Nothing but a human sacrifice could hasten his arrival. Then Metzli, the moon, led forth one, Nahuatl, the leprous, and building a pyre, the victim threw himself in its mist. Straightway, Metzli, followed his example, and as she disappeared in the bright flames, the sun rose over the horizon. Is not this a reference to the kindling rays of the aurora, in which the dark and baleful night is sacrificed, and in whose light the moon presently fades away, and the sun comes forth? Another reaction in the mythological laboratory is here disclosed. As the good qualities of water were attributed to the goddess of night, sleep, and death, so her malevolent traits were in turn reflected back on this element. Other thoughts aided the transfer. In primitive geography, the ocean stream coils its infinite folds around the speck of land we inhabit, biding its time to swallow it wholly. Unwillingly did it yield the earth from its bosom. Daily does it steal it away piece by piece. Every evening it hides the light in its depths, and night and the waters resume their ancient sway. The word for ocean, mare, in the Latin tongue, means by derivation a desert, and the Greeks spoke of it as the barren brine. Water is a treacherous element. Man treads boldly on the solid earth, but the rivers and lakes constantly strive to swallow those who venture within their reach. As streams run in tortuous channels, and as rains accompany the lightning serpent, this animal was occasionally the symbol of the waters in their dangerous manifestations. The Huron magicians fabled that in the lakes and rivers dwelt one of vast size, called Angont, who sent sickness, death, and other mishaps, and the least mite of whose flesh was a deadly poison. They added, and this was the point of the tale, that they always kept on hand portions of the monster for the benefit of any who opposed their designs. The legends of the Algonquins mention a rivalry between Micabo, creator of the earth, and the spirit of the waters, who was unfriendly to the project. In later tales, this antagonism becomes more and more pronounced, and borrows an ethical significance which it did not have at first. Taking, however, American religions as a whole, water is far more frequently represented as producing beneficent effects than the reverse. Dogs were supposed to stand in some peculiar relation to the moon, probably because they howl at it and run at night uncanny practices which have cost them dear in reputation. The custom prevailed among tribes so widely asunder as Peruvians, Tupis, Creeks, Iroquois, Algonquins, and Greenland Eskimos to thrash the curs most soundly during an eclipse. The Creeks explained this by saying that the big dog was swallowing the sun, and that by whipping the little ones they could make him desist. What the big dog was they were not prepared to say. We know. It was the night goddess, represented by the dog, who was thus shrouding the world at midday. 
the ancient Romans sacrificed dogs to Hecate and Diana. In Egypt they were sacrificed to Isis, and thus as traditionally connected with night and its terrors, the Prince of Darkness, in the superstition of the Middle Ages, preferably appeared under the form of a cur, as the famous poodle which accompanied Cornelius Agrippa, or that which grew to such an enormous size behind the stove of Dr. Faustus. In a better sense, they represented the more agreeable characteristics of the lunar goddess. Hochiquetzal, most fecund of Aztec divinities, patroness of love, of sexual pleasure, and of childbirth, was likewise called its Kunan, which literally translated is bitch-mother. This strange and to us so repugnant title for a goddess was not without parallel elsewhere, when in his wars the Inca Pachacutec carried his arms into the province of Huanca, he found its inhabitants had installed in their temples the figure of a dog as their highest deity. They were accustomed also to select one as his living representative, to pray to it and offer it sacrifice, and when well fattened to serve it up with solemn ceremonies at a great feast, eating their god, Substantialiter. The priests in this province summoned their attendants to the temples by blowing through an instrument fashioned from a dog's skull. This canine canonization explains why in some parts of Peru a priest was called by the way of honor Alco, dog, and why in many tombs both there and in Mexico their skeletons are found carefully interred with the human remains. Wherever the Aztec race extended, they seem to have carried the adoration of a wild species, the coyote, the canis latrans of naturalists, the Shoshones of New Mexico, call it their progenitor and with the Nawas it was in such high honor that it had a temple of its own, a congregation of priests devoted to its service, statues carved in stone, an elaborate tomb at death, and is said to be meant by the god Chantico, whose audacity caused the destruction of the world. The story was that he made a sacrifice to the gods, without observing a preparatory fast, for which he was punished by being changed into a dog. He then invoked the god of death to deliver him, which attempted to evade a just punishment so enraged the divinities that they immersed the world in water. During a storm on our northern lakes, the Indians think no offering so likely to appease the angry water god who was raising the tempest as a dog. Therefore they hasten to tie the feet of one and toss him overboard. One meets constantly in their tales and superstitions the mysterious powers of the animals, and the distinguished actions he has at times performed bear usually a close parallelism to those attributed to water and the moon. Hunger and thirst were thus alleviated by water. Cold remained, and against this fire was the shield. It gives man light and darkness and warmth in winter. It shows him his friends and warns him of his foes. The flames point toward heaven, and the smoke makes the clouds. Around it social life begins. For his home and his hearth the savage has but one word, and what of tender emotion his breast can feel is linked to the circle that gathers around his fire. The council fire, the camp fire, and the war fire are so many epochs in his history. By its aid many arts become possible, and it is a civilizer in more ways than one. In the figurative language of the red race it is constantly used as an emblem of peace, happiness, and abundance. To extinguish an enemy's fire is to slay him. To light a visitor's fire is to bid him welcome. Fire worship was closely related to that of the sun, and so much has been said of sun worship among the aborigines of America 
that it is well at once to assign it its true position. End of part two of chapter five.